This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Oakshade Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man, your host, Welcome to season five. Here we go. This podcast is brought to you by discipline, delayed gratification, and being accountable to yourself. This podcast is about finding the high road, working hard every day, creating the best possible version of yourself. Our values are faith, family, fitness, finances, elk hunting, and career. Our guiding principles are authenticity, transparency, and out hustling the competition. Our podcast is brought to you by Buck Knives, Onyx Hunt, Vortex Optics, Wilderness Athlete, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Crispy USA, Matthews Archery, Kufaru International, and BlackOvis.com. Guys, fun podcast today. We're sitting down with this kid named Logan from Wisconsin who lives in northern Idaho now. He's a student. He's elk hunted for himself two years, uh, but a total of three in North Idaho. He's put two bulls down with a bow, and he is a quick study. This guy's sharp, and we're going to pick his brain on his tactics. We're going to cover so many important elk nuggets today. This is a solid listen. If you dig it, give us one of those five-star reviews if you feel like we deserve it. You can always reach out to me on social or my email address, elkshape at gmail.com with any questions. Appreciate your support. Let's get to it. This is Logan, and he is an elk killer two years in a row, batting a thousand, crushing the elk hunting learning curve. Here we go. All right, guys. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. Today, I'm going to sit down with a guy that I don't even know. He emailed me uh, and said, yo, um, I've been putting down a couple bulls, public land, northern Idaho, would love to come on the podcast. Now, typically, you don't want to ask to come on the podcast, uh, but we had to make an exception because this guy just had a really big grin on his face. He looked young. He wanted to talk elk hunting, and so we're making it happen. Logan is on the other end. Logan, do I got you? Yeah, you got me. And your last name's Wim? Wimmy. Logan Wimmy out of North Idaho. Where are you from? I'm originally from central Wisconsin, um, but I moved out a couple of years ago, uh, summer of 2019 for, for grad school. What are you studying? I'm in forestry. Uh, my, my degree, my master's degree I'm working on is, is going to be like a forest biometrics degree. So a lot of statistics involved. Ooh, I'm out. Uh, forestry, does that mean you get to spend a lot of time in the woods for your real job once you get it? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of get, I get paid for work and then I also kind of get paid for scouting on the side. You could put, you could, you could say that. I'm glad you're willing to admit that because I've ran into multiple foresters in the mountains while hunting or scouting. And I'm just like, they're always some tall, skinny drink of water, 
who takes like, I got to take three steps to their one stride and they know every nook and cranny. Uh, I'm jealous, man. That's cool. What, uh, when do you graduate? Uh, I'm set to graduate this spring. So a couple months, hopefully. Are you doing any, uh, internships right now? Yeah, it's interesting actually. Um, so with my grad program, I'm a research assistant, so I'm getting paid for, for that. And then on the side, I have a second research project in addition to my thesis work. So um, it's actually an intern project with um, a company out of Washington. So, yeah, I guess you could consider it an internship. It's not paid or nothing, um, but definitely a great experience. So, yeah, so you will be employed fairly soon. Uh, let's talk about Wisconsin. Which part of Wisconsin did you move from? Pretty much right in the very center. I grew up in Wisconsin Rapids. And then I did my undergrad schooling at the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point. Um, so yeah, pretty much right in the very center of the state. That's great. Um, why University of Idaho? Well, you could probably guess. I mean, it's got big ungulates with big antlers. I won't. I won't tell my advisor that's the reason I came here. Um, I mean, this school is, is a great school, but I wanted to be somewhere where I had you know, great recreation opportunities for, for when I'm, you know, weekends or whatever. And actually it's kind of funny. I was actually all set to go. Um, I had an advisor at university of Georgia. All I had to do is say yes. Uh, and then my advisor here at U of I, um, they originally didn't have any opportunities for me here. Uh, but they, they scraped up an opportunity and he sent me an email and it took me like five minutes to decide I was, was going to say no to Georgia and come to Idaho. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a good call. So <clears throat> your first actual elk season with a bow, was that two years ago? It was uh, fall of 2020. Um, fortunately, I mean, I, I kind of regret it. I, I was out here for the fall of 19 and I was a non-resident at the time. So I could have bought a tag and I, and I, I probably should have. Um, looking back, I kind of regret that. But fortunately, I had a buddy from back home that was like, hey, dude, you're going to be out there. I'll buy a tag you know, we'll go hunt together. So I was like, cool, you know, I'll get, I'll get to go hunting even if I don't have a tag. So we went out, uh, that was the fall of 19 and, uh, we, we got a bull for him. It was pretty good five by six. And then yeah, the following year in 2020 was my first tag that I had for myself. Um, okay. Talk to my listeners that don't live out West. They're, they're like you, man. They, they have a history of want, like of living in the Midwest and they have that intimidation factor where it's like, okay, I'll get an Idaho tag in some random unit, but like they don't live here. They don't, they don't just like get weekends off and could go drive roads, hit trailheads, go like, look at country, like put yourself in their shoes. Like, how did you know where to go in 2019, given the fact that you hadn't been here that long? Well, you know, I guess I had an advantage because, because. I moved out in August. So I had a couple of weeks before the season started to kind of get, you know, familiar with the unit. Um, so what did you do like to get familiar with the unit? Like, did you, so I tell people at Oak shape camps to drive every road and run tracking on, on X and like literally get your map marked up with every road that you can, every primary road. And while you're doing that, look over, find every like major camping spot, like try to start identifying like bottlenecks and places where there's going to attract a lot of people and, and just understand how to get around so you can be mobile. Did you do that first? Oh yeah. hundred percent. Cool. hundred percent. Um, yeah, every chance I had, I was driving new roads, um, you know, looking at every corner of the unit. I knew what unit we were going to be hunting. Right. So just, just tore apart both, um, with the truck, with my feet, with uh, my computer, you know, e-scouting, just ripping it apart. Um, talking to local people too, you know, I had that advantage where I could talk to guys at work, be like, unfortunately I work, I work with a lot of elk hunters, right? So not a lot of archery hunters, a lot of rifle hunters, but they were able to give me some good insight, you know, like spots to check out. And, and through work, you know, I was, you know, walking through the woods and I'd find old rubs here or, or old wallows here. So I had some spots that I, you know, had marked down you know, a couple of weeks before the season started that I could check out. Um, but, but to be honest, you know, that's still pretty short notice. So we went into a lot of it blind. Um, just, just, and dude, you're hunting, like you're not going into open ass country and like, you're going into North Idaho, you're walking into the jungle, but like literally you're going into the jungle. This is not a, this is not a Vantage, Glass, 
look over. Elk aren't in big numbers. There's not big herds. Dude, you got to tell people like they don't understand what you walked into. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it is a jungle for sure. Uh, definitely a vocalization game. So I, that was one of the things that one of the obstacles I had, had to tackle was learning how to call, learning how to locate. Um, and I think that is, that was huge in our success for sure. Just finding out, because like you say, you're not seeing them, right. You might see their tracks. So you kind of have an idea of, you know, okay, there's critters here, but when it comes down to killing them, you got to figure out where they are the day you're trying to kill them. Um, so yeah, calling was a big thing for us. Um, and then again, just, just miles, <laughs> miles and miles on the boots. So you started practicing out calls. Obviously I see a, people can't see this, but we're, we're doing a zoom video recording right now. And I can see a Phelps bugle tube in the background. How did you know to gravitate or assuming you did to a diaphragm call and a bugle tube versus like a external or some sort of like terminator tube? Like how did that process go to learning how to make diaphragm sounds? It was actually pretty easy for me um, growing up in the Midwest. I was a big turkey hunter in the spring. So it's pretty easy transition, you know, using a diaphragm for turkeys and then, and then just transitioning over to elk. It was pretty seamless. Um, but like my dad, you know, so he's been out here a couple of times with me now and, and he'd never blown a reed in his, in his life. And it only took him maybe a month and he was making cow sounds. So for anybody trying to start, you know, it's, it's not hard. I think the biggest piece of advice is just get the reed in your mouth and let it sit there for a couple of weeks, you know, and eventually you're going to be, be making sounds with it and listen to all the good resources out there on, on calling. And I think it's going to help you a bunch. Yeah. Okay. So your buddy comes out, <clears throat> you definitely have an advantage. You have mentors, that you work with, you're paid to travel throughout the woods and mountains in the similar unit you're going to hunt. Um, but at the end of the day, man, the elk are where they're at. So how did you guys get into elk so fast? Um, I guess you could say we got lucky a couple times. Um, you know, I had, I, you know, the scouting I had, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F for spots, right? All these spots I had marked down and I wanted to hit and it was just the process of elimination hiking those spots in and basically running ridges and bugling um, until we crack up a bull. And that's basically what we did for, for five days. And somehow we had, we had found at least one vocal bull every single day. Um, and yeah, that, that's, that, that was our, our main strategy for finding elk. Were you guys soliciting to the bull to get them to respond or were you getting somewhere where you could hear and they're bugling on their own? Uh, I'd say about 90% of them, we were, we, we were making the first sound and then we would get a response. Um, there might've been one or two bulls in there where we heard them, um, from a distance bugling by, by themselves, but most of the time, and even nowadays, you know, hunting this last, these last couple of seasons, most of the time I'm making the first sound and then they're, they're firing back. Okay. So with the setup that you have, your buddies comes over, you don't have a tag. So you're designated caller lucky him were you able to uh wait for the elk to get where they wanted to be for the day and then kind of get the thermals to switch and kind of do that almost like vocalizing 101 like oh you want to call elk in well get them to their bedroom and get them to settle down and go pick a fight uh or did you guys like get aggressive and try to like move in in transitions what was your How'd that go? Well, we were rookies, right? So we really had no idea what the heck we were doing. <laughs> I mean, you can listen, you can listen to all the podcasts you want and you think you have it figured out. And then as soon as you get in the woods, that all goes away. Um, I, I think most of the time, most of the bulls we found, we found them probably around nine, 10 o'clock. So they were almost to their beds if they weren't in their beds already. Um, and at that point, depending on where they were at, it was just, just a waiting game to, to wait for the thermals to switch and make sure that we were cleared to go in there. Um, and then, and then that's what we would do. But the one thing I, I I'm in visualizing right now, and you said it, dude, like, and so I got to re I got to reemphasize that. Like you guys listening. Cool. You listen to all my podcasts. I give out some good advice, maybe some bad advice. I've heard people say that, whatever. It's just advice, right? You can take it or leave it, but there's nothing that's going to duplicate reps in the field to experience it yourself. You can even come to my elk shape camps and have all these guys there teaching you all the stuff. You're still going to come out into the woods and you got to learn it and you'll be like, oh, that's what they were talking about. Don't do that. Okay. But 
what I'm visualizing, Logan, is two Wisconsin boys trying to be whitetail hunters in the elk woods and sneaking around and, and, and maybe even spraying down scent spray and washing their clothes and, and looking like wallows to put tree stands and, and afraid to break a stick in the jungle. Like I think initially, and correct me if I'm wrong, I could just picture you guys kind of whitetailing it a little bit. Yeah. I tell you what, Dan, it was <laughs> looking back now. It makes me laugh. My buddy, Caleb, he's the guy who had the tag. He didn't even have a quiver mount on his bow. He actually had his quiver strapped to his backpack. So every time he needed an arrow, <laughs> he had to grab one off his backpack to knock on. Uh, he has fixed that now, but yeah, you can, you can, you're, you're pretty spot on. Um, I saw Chris B on a Matthews video. Elk, he just killed his first bull in Montana. I don't know the particulars. I got to get him on this podcast, but he is a whitetail archer, tur- tournament archer. You know who Chris B is probably in, in the video. He's got his quiver like dangling on the side of his leg. And I mean, dude, I love shooting without a quiver on way, way better, but a quiver is life in when you're out west. You need your bullets right next to your riser. I know there's guys that still do it, but I remember my very first year elk hunting in 2002, I had a cat quiver backpack. So arrows, all my arrows were on my back. And it didn't take long for me to, to make that correction. So I'm so glad you brought that up. Right. I mean, yeah, there's just a bunch of little things like that, you know, like as you evolve as a Western big game hunter, like you got to start somewhere. And then there's a progression of, of making fine adjustments, right? Yeah, no doubt. So you guys were getting some uh, bulls bedded and then um, in, in that Northern Idaho country, like I know I've, I don't call a lot, I'll be honest, but I have called lots of bulls in, in North Idaho. I will say this, Logan, you don't have to, like I, the biggest bulls I've killed in Northern Idaho all have been no vocalizations, but I've called lots in for me and I've killed a I've called every bull my dad's ever killed with a bow in. Um, I've been his caller. And so when I'm calling for him in Northern Idaho, it's a much closer caller shooter setup. Like I like to have visual on my shooter. Whereas like maybe you go further South uh, or more open country that uh, sometimes I can't even see the guy I'm calling for because it just, the terrain dictates that you have to be backed up. So were you able to see your buddy every time you were calling for him? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and that thick stuff, I like to be, you know, 20, 30 yards away from him. Um, you know, and we had messed up a couple times that first year where it's like, um, I probably should have been further back. We were actually in some op- more open country. Um, I guess open timber, I would say I could probably see 60 yards in the woods and I just things like that. You know, I, I probably should have been further back than I was. We had a bull come into 40 yards and he got to that hang up spot. Everybody talks about and, you know, that's where he hung up. And I think if I would have been further back, um, it would have worked out better for us. Um, and there's some things he learned there too. He had that bullet 40 yards raking a tree and he sat there like a whitetail hunter. So, I mean, it's things like that too, right. That, that, that can really get you looking back now. He, he knows it too. If if he was in that same situation, he would have made a move and, and probably killed that bull while he was raking his tree. But, um, that terrain dictates you have to be aggressive when the bull stops to rake. Like, yeah, his eyes are closed while he's raking. He is, those elk really like to work up that courage. That's what I've experienced when you're threatening them. They'll stop and rake and they're going to be preoccupado for a little while. Now, talk to me about the characteristics of these areas that these bulls are kind of finally settling in for the day. Talk us through what you noticed, your observations. What were the characteristics of these areas that the bulls liked to kind of set up shop where you ended up moving in on them? Right. Well, I mean, everybody talks about North Slopes, right? Uh, I guess. Yeah. I hear people say that. Yeah. Well, where, where I'm hunting, um, that doesn't really seem to be the end all be all. I mean, they could be anywhere. Agreed. Um, I mean, as long as, as long as they got shade and, and the other thing is too, in North Idaho, I mean, where I, where I hunt, there's a lot of clear cuts too, but I mean, they can feed in the woods in a lot of places. So, I mean, they got food, they got shade. What were you seeing? Sorry to interrupt. You just said two things that I got to have you talk about shade. So you're talking about timber that's mature. You know, if you're in sparse timber and the sun's moving, uh, you know, these elk 
these elk like mature timber because then they're in a bedroom all day. It's super comfortable. But you said there's browse and food in the timber, which couldn't be more true in northern Idaho. It's not grass game. What kind of things are these elk eating that you noticed? I don't even know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what they're eating. I just know that they're there, and I, I can see. You know, they're browsing. Um, I mean, if there's, did you guys have huckleberries? Yeah, we have huckleberries. Yeah, they're gonna eat the huckleberry leaves. Um, any source of alders, plants, leaves. Um, they certainly are not gonna eat bear grass. Uh, that's not on them. I've never really seen bear eat or elk eat bear grass per se. But there are grasses. But it seems like hardly. Like they're eating like a wide variety of different plantation, like different. It's so interesting where you're at. So those going to Northern Idaho, Western Montana, Eastern Washington state, uh, Eastern, well, Eastern Oregon's not really uh, qualified. There's some spots in Eastern Oregon. Dude, elk can make a living off the damnedest vegetation. And it's, you got to recognize that. Yeah. You know, you go where I'm at, like where I hunt in New Mexico and Arizona, it's no different. Like the New Mexico bulls were eating strictly grass and probably some of the most mineral dense grasses in the world, which is why they're, they, I think they get bigger in Arizona. I never saw a bull eat grass. I saw him eating manzanita and oak brush all day, literally. So understanding an elk's food source is something that's kind of tricky till you get there. How are you guys able to like kind of flex on, like figure that part out. Like I'm impressed that you obviously clear cuts have more food. So at nighttime in the dark, they'll we'll probably be in the clear cuts, but they're certainly not going to spend a lot of daylight time activity in the clear cuts, but yet they're still eating quite a bit in the timber. How did you guys kind of start putting those pieces of the puzzle together? Well, when I first came out, I was like, you know, I want to be able to see, right. I want to be able to see these critters. So I was finding all these clear cuts. I was like, oh, there's got to be elk coming to this cut. There's got to be elk in this cut. So I would go scout those cuts and I wasn't seeing any elk. You know, I'd see tracks or, or, or sign, but I wasn't seeing elk. I was like, well, I know they're, they're here somewhere, but I'm not seeing them. So I was like, where else could they be? They got to be in the cover. Right. So that's kind of how it turned me on to, to hunting the cover, not the cuts. Um, like you said, I think it's important to have a good solid food source nearby. So I hunt a lot. I hunt, I hunt near a lot of cuts, but I don't hunt the cuts. Um, once in a while, maybe you'll catch a bull, you know, say you, you, you get in early and there's a bull out in, in the, in the cut or some elk out in the cut. Like you can watch them. I don't, I don't chase them in the cut. I watch them and, I, and figure out where they're going. And then that's when I turn it on. I like that. What were your thoughts on logging country as far as man, loggers punch in really nice roads and then their skidders skid skid steer whatever they use like they make a lot of roads and they also make a lot of feed i'm pro logging don't get it twisted but one thing that ends up happening is when you hunt logging countries there are roads and gates everywhere and not everybody abides by the rules right how'd that go for you as a forestry student i have to be pro logging right <laughs> you should um, yeah yeah um it's, it's a blessing and a curse. Um, I think if you can find, you know, logging roads, good logging roads that are close to motorized vehicles, I think that's a gold mine. Um, it can come to bite you though, if, if you're hunting a lot of roads that are open to quads, but it can also be a benefit. So I'll explain that. So this last year I had a bull at 42 yards, um, just below me. And all he needed to do was take three steps and I was going to put an arrow through him. And this is about 10 minutes before dark, right at the last light. And at that very moment, two guys on quads came in on the road behind me 200 yards and blew them out of there. I was, I was knocked on, ready to draw. And right before dark, some, some guys with quads came in and busted that bull out of there. So that's the curse part of it, right? The blessing part of it, though, is it allows you to be extremely mobile. Um, instead of instead of beating brush all day, I mean, I can cover all the ground that I want to from the road. Um, where I hunt, it's very difficult to get further than a mile or mile and a half off of a, a logging road. So I use those to my advantage and I'm calling from those roads. And when I find a bull, that's when I usually leave. There's times where I'll go cross country if I have to get from this road to that road. But a lot of the times I'm using the roads to my advantage if I can. Yeah, yeah man, you're a fast learner. I'm telling you, you're, you're just better than I was. I struggled 
People know the story. Killed a bull in 2001 with a rifle five minutes into the hunt in Washington State, public land with my dad, and then got a bow 2002 through 2006. I finally killed a bull with a bow. Uh, but I didn't kill a North Idaho bull till 2009. And then I put the hammer down on North Idaho elk. I put a dent on them. I was getting two tags a year and crushed that learning curve. But you are talking about a pretty exceptionally fast learning curve where you, man, you're sharp. You're really sharp. And you've already said some things I want people to key on because just if you don't hunt North Idaho, you can still use these principles of like, okay, we know that elk spend majority of their evening dark time in their feeding features. Don't hunt the feeding features during daylight. They're, and if you do, you might catch them in transition, but you might be chasing your tail. The other thing is let them be patient. Let them get to where they want to get. Then they're going to settle down. Then you get a more dependable win. You're literally talking about odds multipliers here where you're just, you're playing the game right. And then the being mobile thing, like I love hunting off a quad or a dirt bike or an e-bike or my truck. And I love covering country via that way much more than the back country where I have to literally hump ridgeline to ridgeline pitching bugles. It just kind of, it has a low ceiling on how far you can really stretch out those locations. Whereas you're covering so much country that, uh, you start to advance your tactics, you know, where you could potentially Logan, if you're struggling to find elk, you can stretch those tactics out at night where you can start bugling at night and stay up later or, or the wee wee hours of the morning. And now you're not only locating a bull, you're locate, locating several different herds of elk. And then you get to pick which one responded the best, sounded the most disgruntled. And uh, that's another odds multiplier. Uh, how much night bugling did you do? Actually, we we haven't needed to night bugle the last couple of years. Um, I've done it before, but but we haven't done it much. Um, it definitely works, though. <laughs> I'll say yeah. that. It, def- it definitely works. Okay, well, let's get into um, the story of your first bull, which was 2020 when you finally had a tag yourself. You called the bull in for your buddy 2019. I'd love to hear that. I'll stop you there. So I didn't call that bull in for my buddy, actually. That was a funny story. So the day... We had, we had found that bull for my buddy the day before, and um, I actually had to work the next day. So so I wasn't there when, when he was able to punch his tag. Unfortunately, it really made me sad. But um, he went in there the next morning, and uh, he was actually – the bull we had found the night before was a big herd six. And so that, that bull was bugling in the morning way back in his clear cut. And so Caleb was heading back in there. Um, to get after him and he bumped into a five by six on the way. And that's how he got his first bowl. So I'm sure you were there for the pack out. Oh yeah. I was there for the pack out. Yeah. <laughs> so coming from Wisconsin and then you, you, you walk up on this bowl that your buddy killed. Talk me through the size, like the, the draw drop of like, Oh my, what have we done here? Yeah. I mean, it's every, I mean, that never goes away. Right. Every bull you walk up to is the same, right? For real. Um, uh, my dad killed a bull in Wyoming in 2015 and I killed a cow in Wyoming, um, well, 20, 2018. So I know elk are big, right? I think for him, his eyeballs are real big though. He'd never seen elk on the ground. So it was, it was a new experience for him, but yeah, that, that, that never goes away. <laughs> Seeing that. Big animal a, land. So 2020, did you go solo or did you go with a, the same guy or someone else? I actually hunted a lot with my, my girlfriend, who is now my fiance, I got engaged last Friday. Congrats. <laughs> um, thanks. Yeah. So we, we, we hunt really good together. Um, so she was with me quite a few of the days, uh, probably half and half. And then the other half I was solo. Okay. So what, uh, did you end up killing your bull in 2020 solo? No, actually she was with me. Um, take us through it. Yeah. So my dad, was out there, uh, the third week of September, he came out to hunt with me and, we did something I don't normally do. Um, we actually ended up hunting the same drainage five days in a row. Um, I don't like to do that normally, but there was a herd of elk in there and they had, they were there every single day and there was a big herd six by six in there. And just one of those bulls where you can, you, you know who he is by his bugle. You, you can just recognize his bugle. So we just kept hunting that every single day with my dad and we saw him, you know, every single day. 
well, dad had to go. So the 26th, he headed out uh, to go back to Wisconsin. And Erica was like, well, let's, let's go hunting. Let's go back to that spot and see if you can find that bull. I was like, okay. I was kind of, kind of um, discouraged. You know, we had hunted this bull for the last five days and nothing was working out, but she convinced me to go back. So we went back and uh, parked the truck it's dark out and 200 yards off the highway of bull bugles right behind the truck. <laughs> so I was like, okay, game on. And, um, we headed up in there. I sent one locator out and then this big herd six by six bugles in the back. And I could tell it was him based on his bugle. So we just kept heading back in there and they were actually, um, moving towards us. So we actually ended up cutting them off and it was September 27th. So at this point I wasn't going to be too picky. I just wanted to, to put an elk on the ground. And I look up to my right, we're walking on this logging road about a quarter mile off the highway and look up to my right. And I see a cow coming down. And I was like, okay, here we go. Game on. I'm shooting a cow. And then, uh, so I knock on hook up and then right behind her in the, in the more, you know, early morning, fog this giant six by six frame comes up over the hill right behind her at like 100 yards so then i was thinking to myself okay we're passing the cow um this bull's coming right down she came to 32 yards stopped perfectly broadside and all he needed to do was come right behind her and do the same thing and i was going to have a 32 yard shot well she dropped down below the road and he he went around the backside so i lost sight of him i had no idea where he was well it turns out he had jumped onto the road and started coming around the corner right to us right down the road and erica's at this point face to face with this giant six by six bull at 19 yards um i'm up a little bit off the road and he starts to turn to follow this cow down off the road i draw back and settle my pin 19 yards and let him have it and uh yeah i don't know it's I still can't believe it happened that way. It did. You know, everybody talks about you got to be miles back off the road and these spots that nobody's hunting, these low pressure spots. Well, I killed that six by six, a quarter mile off the highway. He was standing on a logging road when I shot him. So it's just another another uh, reminder that elk are going to be where they want to be, no matter where you think they should be. Dude, um, one thing that's kind of cool is that you could have panicked and saw the bull and been like, oh, I got to challenge him or, oh, I got to vocalize and give up my spot, Get, you know, give up the advantage really that you have the wind coming down the mountain in your face. You got something that he's interested in. You got a live decoy deke walking right by you and you didn't panic. You didn't be like, oh, I got a cow call or oh, I should bugle. Like, I know there's guys that would like, I have to make a sound and truthfully, I prefer not to make vocalizations at all. Like that is actually my all-time preference. There is a inverse relationship. The more I call, the smaller a bulls come in. Not that I'm a trophy elk hunter, but who doesn't like killing big herd bulls? I've killed several herd bulls. I've killed several non-herd bulls. And it's almost like literally that inverse relationship. You shut your mouth, Staten, you got a chance of killing a big bull. How'd you know not to like, I mean, looking back, you did a good job, man. You shut your mouth and, and slipped right in and let him walk, do his thing. Uh, did you have any temptation to, to hop on that hoochie mama or make a call or bugle at him? Or you just, you just knew? No, no, I kind of, I didn't at all. I had, I had no problem staying quiet. I think the reason being is, is I told myself, I have a, I have a, like a mental rule that I follow is, is as soon as I see that elk, I'm not saying another word. Um, and that's, that's worked out for us. As soon as you can see them and you make a sound, I mean, they know right where that sounds coming from. Right. So sonar. Yeah. As soon as, as soon as I see them, I'm not saying a sound. That's awesome. Um, so this year, talk to me about how that experience this year, cause you were able, basically you've had three North Idaho seasons, two of which you've had a tag. You're a hundred percent. You're the exception to the rule. You're young. You got a great elk hunting future in front of you and you're getting married to a lady who likes to elk hunt and you're forced. Dude, you, your things are looking good for you. Um, talk to us about 2021. Yeah. 2021. I would say this season as, as in general was, was way different from 2020. I'm not sure about you, but the first half of my 2020 season, I didn't hear my first bugle until September 12th. I hunted, sounds about right. I don't, I don't know how I did this, but I hunted 17 days 
in 2020 in September. Yeah. Don't tell my advisor that 117 days. Um, and like I said, the first half of those days, I didn't hear a bugle. So it was pretty tough, but fast forward to 2021, I called in a bull at 10 yards on opening day. Um, and he was, and he was vocal. So it was, it was totally different experience. Um, a lot more vocal bulls. Um, yeah, it was, it was just a great season. I think the weather, you know, the weather was a lot different this season. Oh yeah. Um, it was pretty hunted, dry. Yeah. I hunted 12 days this last September. So I hunted fewer days. I actually killed my bull this year. Um, a year to date from when I killed the bull last year. Okay. I killed them, killed them both on the 27th of September, um, which was kind of cool. I like those later dates in September. A lot of people are strung out that can go hunt. They're just strung out. That's just like depressing. They've been trying everything. They've had close calls. Um, they're running out of vacation. They're running out of approval from their better half of being out chasing elk. Um, they're worn out physically or mentally. They're exhausted. I've really liked the last week of September. People like to do a lot of planning around the full moon and all that jazz. That's not me coming out. I like coming out hot and strong beginning elk season this year. It did not work out for me. I had very, very rough conditions. I mean, I was getting into elk first light, last light with a bunch of downtime in the middle of the day. I had bulls together, bachelored up. I, I like quit. I like shot an antelope uh, September 3rd and then I went home. I like, I literally went home and hung out and, and took care of my wife after surgery and got the kids to school for the year. And, and I, I wasn't even like jonesing to get back out. I was like, I literally don't feel like hanging out on the mountain, hearing nothing, seeing nothing, watching bachelor bulls come out together as amigos, as like, they're not like, they're still buds. This is, yeah. I'll tell you what, Logan, I've had many years in a row where it's like August 30th, September 1st, it's fire. It's like pecking order season and almost better than any time of the year, you know, with no cows in the equation and bulls trying to figure out who's the toughest, baddest dude on the block. Not this year. So I'm glad that someone else experienced that. Talk to us about your mental approach hitting up that, because your season closes September 30th. And you've killed two bulls two years in a row, August 20 or September 26th. Those are the dog days of September. So those listening, give us your best practices to survive the dog days of September. Black Rifle Coffee Company, established in 2014. Veteran owned, proudly American. They support two-way, they support hunting, and coffee is life if you're just like me. Head over to blackriflecoffee.com, click the coffee club, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE, save 15% and have fresh new flavors of coffee delivered to your doorstep every month. Wilderness Athlete. I met the founder in 2006. I've been in love with this company ever since. They make a tremendous amount of products, not only for in the field, but during the off season when you're training and they got you covered when it comes to supplementing your nutritional intake. Look no further than the Hydrate Recover, whether you want to get tubs or the packets, energy and focus, meal replacements, daily strength protein, brute force pre-workouts, caffeine free and with stimulant, altitude advantage, joint advantage, omega-3 fish oil, and a Bunch more head over to wildernessathlete.com and if you've never bought anything from them before make sure you enter the discount code elkshape30 to save 30 percent off your first purchase vortex optics proud partner since 2010 everything from rifle scopes binoculars range finders vortex wear and backed with their vip warranty unlimited unconditional you break it they'll fix it veteran owned proudly american head over to vortexoptics.com check out their vortex wear fit for everywhere use the discount code elkshape take 20 percent off your scouting everyday wear clothing and thank you vortex for supporting elkshape for over 10 years on x hunt the number one hunting GPS app. You should join the millions of hunters who trust Onyx, including myself, to find more honey holes, discover new access, and to be confident and know where you stand. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE to save 20% off an elite membership. Get all 50 states, be able to scout from a desktop and your phone. Everything syncs. You can go to 3D mode. Onyx Hunt is the cornerstone to all of my public land hunting success. Check it out at onxmaps.com. Buck Knives out of Post Falls, Idaho. 
Buckknife has a wide variety of blade sharpness, lengths, finish, materials, whether they're serrated, carry systems, handle material, engravable, so many different accessories. Buckknife has been in the game since 1902. They have a forever warranty and they proudly support Elk Shape. We ask that you check out Bucknives.com and proudly support American-made knives that help you break down your animal in the backcountry. NUMA Outdoors. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your clothing. NUMA has base layers, headwear, jackets, mid-layers, outer pants, shirts, and vests. Check out the Pursuit Pant, the Renegade, Quarter Zip, Pullover, the Palisade, Puffy, the Alpha Vertex Jacket, and the sleek lineup of base layers, Base Haven, Quarter Zip, Pullover, as well as Base Haven Pants. <laughs> Make sure you get sleep and get up early. I don't, I don't like to waste any time, right? So I, I love that, that third and fourth week of September. So I'm doing whatever I can to make sure I'm hunting from first light to last light. I want to hear every single bugle I can. I want to find every single bullet I can. Um, it's a grind though, right? It's a grind. Um, and then there's, there's no way around it. You just kind of have to put your head down and keep going. Cause you know that, well, well at least, mid-September you know every day is supposed to get better and that that's been my experience you know the, the closer to the end of the month you get the, the more you know the more we find the more vocal bulls we find it's just it's just that mental grind <laughs> I don't so, know how else to say it tactics wise uh and this is these are things I talk openly about elk hunting here on the podcast I'm almost I'm not there yet Logan but I'm starting to think there's a shift in elk hunting behavior where the end of September is the new peak rut. And I can't back this up. I know it's different region to region, but dude, I've had, I had a bull rutting his brains out this year, November 17th in Arizona, like, wow. Screaming his head off, chasing cows. Obviously there was a hot cow there. Um, and then there was other bulls in, in the area that could give two craps less about the hot cow. They're like, like I've already been there, done that, but we'll have to see in 2022, when do these calves hit the ground? And that's a great discussion from a, with a forestry guy who's going to be out there in the woods, man, you got to come back on the podcast and give me your observations. I leave trail cameras out and I spring bear hunt harder than anyone I personally know. I'm out there in the spring like crazy and I'm running cameras and I'm watching and man, historically I see a lot of calves get dropped mid-May all the way into early June. Uh, but there are places where I'll be elk hunting in September and I'm like, okay, that calf right there, there is no possible way that calf got dropped on the dirt anywhere between May and June. That thing was born late June, early July do the math. That thing was bred in October into October. And I'm really curious to see how 2022, this calf crop recruitment, when they get dropped, I think elk are starting to breed a little bit later. I don't know if it's the drought, if it's all the wildfires, the thing they talk about all the time, global warming, I don't know much about, but is that a thing? What do you, I mean, I know you don't have a lot of history elk hunting, but I'm here to tell you, I do. And in my 20 years, it's, it seems like it's starting to move further and further back. Yeah. I mean, since, since I've been elk hunting, it seems like the last week of, of September has always been the best for us. And I know guys that have the ability to hunt into October. I mean, they're, they're having great hunts too. So that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, yeah. Like you said, it'll be interesting to see, see how that pans out in the future. Um, it's definitely possible. I think and it'd be interesting to talk to a biologist and see what their opinion is. Yeah, they're way more qualified than my like making this up anecdotal. But uh, how how did you kill your bull this year? So I was solo for this one. Um, luckily, at my my fiance and my dad were able to help me pack him out. But it, but I killed him solo, um, and that was just a straight vocalization game. I called him in nineteen or er, seventeen yards. Um, basically, started the morning out just just uh doing what i normally do hiking roads um, i had one drainage i thought they were going to be in they weren't there so i hiked through the drainage up to the other side try to bugle into the uh 
the neighboring drainage. And I got to the top of that ridge and I bugled and a bull fired off back where I just come from. So it seems like it always works out that way. I don't know why. How much time did you burn crossing that drainage? Give us, give me an idea. Like how, how long did that take? 20 minutes. Okay. So you, you probably picked a good path. Didn't hit downfall. Was there water in the bottom? Yep. A little bit of water. Yep. Um, pretty easy quick to just hop over. Um, it took me about half the time to get back I bet. <laughs> after I'd, after I'd heard that bull bugle. So yeah, crossed the Canyon, came back to the side I started from, and he was, he was up higher. Um, so, you know, this is probably at this point an hour after daylight. Wind still coming down. Wind still coming down pretty strong. Yeah. I could okay. tell they were, they were going up. I could tell. Um, he wasn't giving me any real aggressive vocalizations. You know, I figure, okay, he's probably got cows with him, but, uh, I couldn't tell if he had any hot cows or nothing. He wasn't screaming his head off at me, but every, every sound I made, he was giving me something, whether it was, you know, just a little chuckle or, or just some kind of weird grunt, you know, um, enough to keep me in line of where they were tracking. So I just kept working up. Um, and then I got toward the top of the hill and then thermal started to get kind of weird. So I kind of sat back for a little bit, let things steady out. Um, and I could tell they were still working up. And then I got to a point where I probably got within a hundred yards of them or so. And I actually set up the little calling sequence and he got pretty fired up uh, to the point where I thought maybe he was coming, but he didn't, of course. So he kept working up. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to have to be maybe a little more aggressive with this guy and, and try to get a little, little closer. But what happened was they actually got to the spot where they wanted to be right around that 10 o'clock mark. And he had cows with them and they bedded up. And, and I knew that. So I, I started working closer. And at this point I had switched from, from, from bugles to cow calls. I knew that he had cows and he was interested in cows and, and I tested him. I, I threw a couple of cow sounds out and, and he was very responsive. So that's when I switched to cow sounds. Um, so I started working my way up to him, just, just cow calling a little bit here and there. And he gave me one final chuckle and he was probably 80 yards. I was like, okay, I know right where he's at. He hasn't moved for the last 15 minutes. That's where he's going to be. And that's where I'm going to kill him. So I snuck in a little closer. I casted a couple more cow sounds down behind me as I'm working in and I'm, you know, popping sticks here and there as I'm moving, nothing too extravagant. And at this point, then I can hear him breaking brush. I know he's coming. So I tell myself, okay, I got to find a spot where I have a lane where I can shoot. I move up like five more yards. I get my lane. And at this point I can see his antlers out coming and he's probably 40 yards. And then that's when I shut up. I don't say nothing. He keeps coming and he starts walking down right toward me. And there's a tree between me and him and he stops behind the tree and I can't see his eyes, but I can see his antlers on both sides of the tree. <laughs> he's looking right in my direction. At this point I got my bow arm up and I'm hooked up, ready to go. And it probably probably stands there for a minute and a half, two minutes. And I got my bow arm up. <laughs> I was like, come on, man, just, just do something so I can draw on you. And he sits there for, for a couple, you know, like I said, a couple minutes and he looks around and then he's, I can tell he's looking down where I had made those last sounds from. He, he's looking for those cows that are down there. Finally, he's, he says, okay, I'm going to keep looking for him. He, he starts walking down and I draw At this point. He's like, he's under 20. And I hit him with one of those nervous grunts, those barks, mm -hmm. locked him up right there, found my, my window, settled a pin and touched it off. And he ran about 30 yards and I heard him fall over probably in like 30 seconds. Baku e-bikes. These guys provide awesome e-bikes for the mountains. I use them out west, specifically logging roads. They have more torque than any other e-bike competitor. They're built for hunters by hunters. They're an awesome brand to work with out of Salt Lake City. Check them out at Baku.com. BlackOvis.com is where I buy all my hunting gear. I have a discount code that I use myself. It is elk shape. It takes 10% off. Their shipping is fast and free. Their selection is vast and deep. Go to blackovis.com. Check out their full lineup of clothing, footwear, optics, archery, arrows, camping, and all the brands. Spy Point Trail Cameras, the world's number one cellular trail camera brand. Extremely affordable. My favorite is the Link Micro LTE, the smallest best value camera, dependable, reliable. Go to spypoint.com and check out all their options when it comes to trail cameras and accessories. 
Kafaru International, my good homeboy, Aaron Snyder and Frank the Tank. These guys are American made, 100%. I typically use the Hoodlum, the 22 Mag, or the Striker XL in the backcountry. The frame is second to none. Head over to Kufaru International. Be sure to check out their packs, their frames, tents, shelters, sleeping systems, stoves, lots of accessories, as well as closeouts. You won't be disappointed. Matthews Archery. Introducing the all-new V3X. You have a 29 and 33 option. These guys are out of Sparta, Wisconsin. Head over to MatthewsInc.com. Click the bow builder and start customizing your next awesome bow hunting rig. Crispy USA. Head over to crispyus.com, peruse the vast selection of awesome boots from mountaineering, backpacking, and of course, my favorite, the Colorado GTX for elk hunting. There are also some good options for everyday wear, like my daily driver, the Ativa Mid GTX. And then if you're into stocking like I am, look no further than the Laponia GTX. Check out the core boot lineup. Everything starts from the ground up on your next adventure. Choose wisely. Be sure to check out crispyus.com. Oh, did you heart shoot him? Yep, heart shot him. Yeah. Well, I was actually, so I was below him. So um, it went through his heart and it exited about mid mid cavity on the backside. So yep. through the bottom of the heart, probably opposite, right to the center of the opposite lung. And mm. Dropped him. That's so clutch moving up after vocalizing and like, like that's probably what sealed the deal because those things have sonar, radar. They can drop a pin where you make that last sound. And man, he was looking, he was looking, and that allowed you to do that solo. Folks listening, that's Next Level Nuggets. Some people say we have bad advice. Uh, I've read the comments and forums. We don't. That's good stuff right there. That's why we had you on, Logan. Wisconsin guy, tell me about your uh, setup, specifically arrow broadhead selection uh, for hunting the thick undulation brush country of North Idaho. Yeah, so I'm shooting uh, Matthews VXR. Um, Wisconsin boy, right? So I got to shoot Matthews, right? 28 or 31 and a half. Uh, I'm a short guy. I'm five foot seven. So I'm really happy with the 28. That might be one of my favorite bows they've ever made. In fact, you can see this, but I have, that's my rattle can back there is the VXR 28. Will not sell that. Will not give that away. That thing's with me through and through. Good choice. What about arrow and uh, broadhead? I'm shooting, um, FMJ three forties. Yep. Um, and um, I topped them off with muzzy trocars. I had played around with, with, um, some other broadheads back in Wisconsin, we can shoot expandable. So growing yeah. up, I always shot expandables for whitetails. If I ever go back, I'm, I'm going to stick with a fixed plate, I think. Um, but last year, 2020, I shot, I shot slick tricks in 2020. Yeah. Um, and then they, they did the job. Um, but I wanted to test some new broadheads out. Uh, so, so this year I settled with, with the trail cars and, and they performed pretty well. So. What, uh, what grain of uh, broadhead? They're uh, hundred grain heads. Okay. What's your draw length? 27. So you got like what, like 470, 480. What's your total weight? Yeah, I think it's around 475. Yeah. That's pretty good, man. That's kind of in that, that compromise sweet spot as I call it. But, uh, could you go heavier? Absolutely. In brush country, you certainly could. Could you go lighter? Absolutely, you could. But in that country that you're you're hunting, and as you continue to hunt it, you're going to realize there's going to be a time where you got to shoot through huckleberry brush, or maybe some alder leaves, or you name it. Like it's thick, and I haven't cracked the code, man. But when I hunt North Idaho, and I haven't hunted it in a couple of years, I think a lot of people know that I'm taking some time off from North Idaho. I generally ran a 505 to 530 grain FMJ, like a 100 grain broadhead, pretty heavy setup, but I also usually would run a single pin in North Idaho and I have it set at 25 or 30 even. And I'd just be a couple inches higher low given, but I'd say my average shots 20 yards in North Idaho. And I like that single site. Would I do that out like in more open country? Heck No. I do like a three pin slider or a two pin slider, um, that type of thing. What's your configuration on your pins? So I shoot a five pin, um, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50. Uh, I think it gives me a 60 right? I can't do math right now. Yeah. But you'd have a 60 as well then. Yep. Yeah. So, but like he said, I mean, my further shot that I've taken on my elk here is 19 yards. Yeah. So do I really need all those pins for practice? Yeah. But but I haven't used them yet in a hunting situation. Yeah. Like if I do make it back to North Idaho in 2022, I'll probably bring, I'll have a setup just for it. 
where I'll probably have a single pin at 25 or 30 even depending on, and I might bump up a little heavier arrow, like heavy for me is still probably not over 500. I love FMJs, ran those. I've killed more elk with FMJs than any arrow, man. That's a great arrow. It really is a tough, tough arrow. And the trocars, I've killed an elk with a trocar, uh, a slick trick. What's the striker G5 striker. I've had good luck with all those, but I like the fix. That's cool that you did that. Uh, I imagine you were able to find your arrow right after the shot. Um, actually <laughs> I found the bull before I found the arrow. <laughs> well, you heard him fa- crash. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The arrow blew right through him. It was stuck in the dirt right behind him. Um, so I went back after I had him quartered up and everything. I went back and found my arrow. I wasn't going to leave 40 bucks sitting there on the hill. I feel that man. I just Robin hooded the other day. Uh, and I don't do Robin hoods very often. And I wasn't even happy about it. I was like, you know what? That just cost me 50 bucks. Both arrows are ruined. That's I buy my own arrows on purpose. I try to use different, a whole bunch of different arrows for YouTube so I can tinker. But, uh, I think I might try the XN packs. I did shoot a bear with them this year and I kind of like the four millimeters for, for some of those longer range shots. Um, but man, there's so many good arrow options. Do you think you'll keep the same setup? If I got something that works, I usually don't. I'm not as much of a tinkerer as you are, Dan. Put it that way. Once yeah, once I have a system I'm that weird. works, once I have a system that works, I usually stick with it until it breaks. Um, but you never know. I mean, if I get some extra money, that's the other thing. You know, I'm on a grass suit salary. So, hey, how long are your arrows? Uh, I cut them right at 27. Dude, I got. You see that uh, top tote up there with that? That I bet I got 50, 60 FMJs that i'd love to give you if they fit and they're like they're ready to go i'm not kidding i'll, I'll trade you for something i won't i'm not gonna make you give me nothing i'll trade you for- they're just sitting in that thing i'm not gonna use them man i'd love i have a but if you are five foot seven and you like live close to me you should come over and be like hey dan what do you got because <laughs> there's this like all my buddies like jake and tim they're both like jake's five eleven tim's six foot one they could be hooked up really well. So yeah, man, if you're up in Spokane or whatever, let me know. We'll grab a workout and, uh, get me the, like I'll measure these arrows for you. I got a bunch of different spines, FMJs too. Like, are you four hundreds or three? You said three forty, right? Yeah. I'm shooting three fours. I could probably play around with 400 and see how those, how those shoot too. But yeah, I got three forties right now. I got both. I got both, man. I, I literally was, like I said, I ran FMJs forever. And at one point I was sponsored by Easton. So, uh, there's a bunch in there and, and they're cut. They're ready to go insert like different front of centers. Like, do you put uh, brass up front or do you run their standard hit? I was going to, I run the standard hip. I was going to play around with those brass inserts um, just to put some more weight up front. I haven't done it yet, but I was thinking about doing that. I think most of them have 50 grains of uh, brass up front. They, they might have a, a dozen here, a dozen there with 75, but there's no standard hit. Well, I might even have some with standard hits in them, but majority of them, I, I always didn't, I wanted a little more FOC than what came with a standard hit. So, uh, yeah, dude, like they're yours, bro. You just got to come do a workout with me and survive. And then we'll give you those. Well, I was, yeah, I was actually going to talk to you after the podcast and say like, if I could come help you break in the new gym you got. <laughs> Anytime, man, like this gym is for the elk hunting community. So, uh, my season just ended yesterday here in Washington. Um, I didn't get a deer, but hunted and and now it's like off season has officially started. This is day one. And when I'm not doing elk shape camps or traveling to shows or bear hunting, like that's a couple months here where I'll just be here in the trenches. So I'm going to have to figure out a way to invite people and get them up here. I look forward to meeting other hunters, come work out at the gym and uh, iron sharpens iron, man. And honestly, that's why we built this gym. That's why we invested in it. It's Cause it's just like a way to give back. So yeah, let me know. Uh, you'll have to just shoot me a text or an email or a message on Instagram when you're ready and we'll coordinate a time and we'll get you some arrows after you're done working out. How's that sound? Dude, that sounds badass, man. Are you on Instagram? Yeah. What's your handle? Uh, it's at, I think it's just at Logan Wimmy. Okay. W I M M E. Yeah. Okay. Guys, give him a follow. Dude's killed two bulls two years in a row from Wisconsin, studying to be a forester, just got engaged, loves Jesus. This guy's the real deal, man. This is my people. And if you're my people, thanks for listening to this podcast. You have a lot of options. Thanks for picking ours. I really mean that. Separations in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. Mm
Hey, thanks, Logan, for coming on and uh, chatting elk hunting in North Idaho. If you guys couldn't tell, uh, my roots are in North Idaho. I just love that country. Yeah, I don't hunt it much anymore as far as for elk, but it's always dear near to my heart. Logan, at the time of this recording, you still have not come up and got your FMJs, man. I actually looked. I got almost 100 arrows with your name on them, man, and a bunch of different 340, 400 different front of centers. Would be an honor to give them to you, man. They're just collecting dust. And uh, appreciate your time coming on and and explaining your thought process. I'm really excited for your future. Guys, I hopefully you learned a few things on there. Logan did a really good job explaining kind of what he was doing, and he learned really fast. He, he blew through that learning curve. And I want you to do the same. If you haven't checked out the elkcollective.com, that is something that I put together with my buddy John Gabriel, and it's a library of videos on how to get the learning curve crushed on elk hunting. And it's not just my way of doing it. It's a multitude of subject matter experts. Chris Rowe, Joel Turner, Dirk Durham, Jason Phelps, Ryan Lampers, Brian Barney, a bunch of guys. You can use the discount code, all one word, Elk Shape Podcast, and it'll get the course for $59.99 a year. And you're going to just you got a lot of months ahead of you to digest that information, so check that out. If you haven't made it to an elk shape camp at the time of this recording, I am flying back to from Wisconsin, actually. Our first camp of the year, that camp sold out. We had 50 athletes, awesome, at Vortex Optics. Thanks for hosting Vortex. And we have three more. We got um, Utah's coming up quick, then Oregon, and then in April, we finished the season in Texas. Pretty exciting. Don't forget to check out our YouTube. We have a massive giveaway that's going to drop on February 7th. You need to watch that video, and it's for a giveaway for this spring, and it might have something to do with bears. You and your buddy, tags, travel, prizes. It's going to be awesome. All you listeners that uh, are listening because you like me or like what we do and like what we talk about, thank you. Any of you listeners listening that don't like me, I'll win you over eventually. You'll realize all I'm selling is hard work, separations in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one.